Hey, Andrew. Hey, Tom. How's it going? You know. <laughs> <laughs> My corona. <laughs> Man, there's some weird times we're living in right now. It is interesting. Lots to talk about. And so should we talk about the elephant in the room or should we just avoid the elephant, gingerly step around it and move on <laughs> to more interesting topics? Uh, let's talk about the elephant just to get it out of the way. Um, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, I, when last time we did a podcast, I was in D.C. And right when I got back was like when everything was, you know, they were like, oh, maybe you shouldn't have gone on that trip. It's getting you know, the virus is spreading or whatever. But then a week later, I went to Austin. And just somehow between, you know, leaving Denver and I shortened my trip because South by Southwest was canceled, but I still had the plane ticket and I just made it shorter. But just by the time I got to Austin, I feel like they were following the social distancing a little bit more than here. Because I had been out the night before and I saw friends and we still gave hugs and stuff. But I got to Austin and like, no one was touching anyone. You know, it's like, hey, haven't seen you in a year, but uh, let's just keep our distance. <laughs> fist you know, bump. so that was, yeah, we, we did no, not even fist bumps down there, elbow bumps or anything. Wow. And I mean, pretty much almost everything was shut down except for restaurants. And I did go see a couple of movies because I usually go for the film fest. And so just regular movies at the Alamo down there and I went to like an Austin Film Society screening. But because there was you know, there was only like a third or a quarter full at most. I mean, there was really probably like nine or ten people. Um, so it was kind of like social distancing movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it was just day by day. I was there for only like two and a half days and then I just ended up getting a ticket back. Um, airline tickets were really cheap and just came back, you know, so I was only there for a few days just and then i quarantined myself at my house for a couple of days you know for like three or four days so just in case you know being on the plane and whatever but so yeah that was kind of the beginnings of the weirdness for me as far as you know change of lifestyle yeah so not much going on in austin huh you didn't get to see any bands i guess you got to eat some good food the restaurants weren't closed yet yeah, ate good food and really, I it was it was cool because the the few friends that I did see, we had really long, great conversations. You know, it was just like it's these are friends that I've known down there, in some cases for you know like twenty nine or so years, and wow. I, they're like my best friends for a week a year. <laughs> and so we, once we had you know been in the same spaces as each other, we were kind of quarantined together, and we just hung out and talked. You know, just t chatted a lot, went walked the dog. I mean, it was just a ghost town so it was it was i'm glad i got to go i'm glad it was before everything got so extreme but but everything will be fine because we're gonna all be back to work by easter what I so hear. i hear are you trying <laughs> to bait me <laughs> yes i'm baiting you well that's an interesting thing to me and i, I i've noticed listening to these tapes that i use the word interesting way too much but in this case i think it genuinely is interesting and characteristic of our of our chief executive is it for him to say oh yeah everybody's going to be back at work by easter and by the way by the time this comes out easter will probably be come and gone so this prediction will have already proven itself out or not but the the great thing about saying something like that like i think everybody should be should 
should stop should stop worrying about this and go back to work that we can solve this by easter then everybody can say no and if everybody does go back to work by easter and something goes wrong then the chief executive can say whoa my bad i didn't realize how bad this was or can blame it on some other country or like like incompetent people and fire a couple of people in in the in the NIH or something and be done on the other hand though if people ignore him and blow past it then it can all be the democrats fault if there wasn't if if the economy's no good by june and they can be well. I wanted everybody back to work by Easter, and we would have had a great economy now. Then it would have been huge, and and blame it all on on another party. So it seems like a win-win to me, and a really canny political move. What do you think? Um, I'm not sure if the president is playing like three moves ahead, like a chess game. <laughs> I feel like he's playing like one move behind every time, and just saying what he's thinking at the time. But I agree that that that. In retrospect, that could be what happens, right? But is that a plan or is that just like working backwards, you know, the hindsight um, method of blame? I don't don't know know. if it's fortitude or if it's just playing in hindsight. I don't know. (laughs) But I think I I could see it happening for sure. I don't know if that dude could win as many games as he does by accident. It's kind of like that drunken martial arts style. Where you go, that dude's a drunk. He's just staggering around, <laughs> kicking everybody's ass. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, but he's kicking everybody's ass. Like, there's got to be some method to that madness somewhere. Like, there's got to be a style behind it because you don't get your way as often as that dude does without some kind of technique behind the execution. Yeah, over and over and over. I mean, that's that's definitely that's definitely true. He's somehow wins over and over yeah even in bankruptcy yeah and his i think he's actually a very capable man and don't necessarily agree with anything that he ever has done (laughs) and this is by no means an endorsement but i also think that his opponents would do well to study his playbook and to understand how not following the rules gets him his way and how doing some of these things like not appointing heads of agencies just not bothering just having acting people all the time gives him an enormous amount of flexibility and creates a precedent of not having congressional approval over heads of agencies for example and i hate to get political because we're really not supposed to given our jobs and and um and and it's boring and no fun and not interesting and divisive anyway. Yeah, there's plenty of opinions out there. It's but, so um, fun. I don't have one. That's the funny thing. I just my only opinion is is that nobody understands the man. Least of all me, by the way. But that people yeah. have consistently underestimated him. Much as people consistently underestimated Hitler and Lenin and and Andrew Jackson for that matter and FDR and thought that they were going to crash and burn. And they didn't because they were actually 20 round boxers. Yeah. The longevity of it. Well, and that, if you look at the primaries, like definitely the Democrats didn't learn anything from the Trump primary because it was almost the same thing, right? There was like 20 or more people and Trump just like 
kind of hammered on everybody and called them names and stuff. And he he was able to outlast all that. I mean, it's just like Survivor on TV, you know, yep. like the, the the very first Survivor, that Richard Hatch guy, you know, he, like nobody liked him, but he just caused so much upheaval that everybody else just knocked each other out. And he was the one left standing. Right. And the Democrats had this, you know, opportunity to to they could think about this for quite a while since 2016. Didn't come up with a solid candidate. It was way too many candidates. And then in the end, they all kind of hedged each other out. And then we still didn't end up with really, you know, anything. Right. Well, it's, in, in, it's really it's really, you know, indicative of the of the division within the Democratic Party itself. Which is you've got the you've got the faction that thinks that we need to have somebody who's centrist who will appeal to those people on the fence, and then you've got the new dealers who want somebody radical and will only vote for Barney, basically or Bernie. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Sanders. Um, <laughs> but you know, so you've got these two people. You've got Biden, and you've got and you've got Bernie, and both of them are extremely are, are definitely not all things to all people let's just say and and it's hard to imagine somebody that's really gung-ho about biden ever being willing to vote for bernie and vice versa and yeah, vice versa yeah and it's two old white guys again you know it's well, like it's, it's just that octogenarian factor just drives me nuts in our politics in general is that that everybody and and i don't i I'll even go further than that. Speakers of the House and and um, and all kinds of people are just super old and white, and it's 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 demoralizing that there aren't more that there isn't vision and longevity in people that are under seventy years old in America. It's just nuts to me that our country, which is a pretty young country in terms of the demographic, is being run by people that are 30 years older than the average person in the country. It's nuts. It's really nuts. It is bizarre. And they're all millionaires. Yeah, they're really not representative of the people. In, in the least. And, and it's, it's too bad. And these guys have all just, by, by brawling, by having 20 debates with 40 candidates, they've totally written the incumbent's playbook for him. So all he has to do is just cut and paste the stuff out of the transcripts of the, of the yeah. debates to destroy whoever he ends up running against in the end. All he has to do is keep his mouth shut, sort of, I mean, to, to his best ability. And he just has to wait it out and then come in fresh. Yeah, because he's just getting continually bruised. But he already knows all the bad things that everybody's going to say about him because they said them all in the debates, too. So he's written yeah. defenses or good counterattacks because he doesn't defend himself. He counterattacks. He doesn't say when people say, you know, why did you do this thing with Russia? Then he comes back with, well, why didn't, you know, what about Benghazi? He doesn't say, <laughs> like, I didn't do Russia. He says, what about you? Like, like, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Right. And yeah. and that's his whole his whole thing is 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 a counterpunch. If people could understand that and not allow themselves to be distracted by those things, then there would be a much better chance of, of people scoring hits on the guy. Yeah. Yeah. This, the, the debates are going to be painful. To watch. Hilarious. <laughs> 
I think it's gonna it's pro wrestling. It's wonderful. Are you into pro yeah. wrestling? Uh, you know, as kids we watched um like the channel two wrestling, like with the, you know, throwing chairs. I dropped out like all through, you know, the nineties and two thousands. I didn't follow any kind of wrestling. Yeah, it's classic stuff. But this is this is that. And they just haven't admitted that it's entertainment yet. Yeah. But it totally is. And this is selling all this stuff is selling so many newspapers between coronavirus and the election year and all of this stuff like where it's it's just it's everything is pro wrestling there's chairs flying across the airwaves we just don't see yeah them. and there's so many commercials i'm just like trying to watch cnn and it's just there's so many commercials that they're, they're definitely making money oh yeah yeah everybody, everybody's making them in they, yeah. don't even, they don't even have to sell viagra anymore <laughs> well on to the on to the next topic which is related but um this uh, artist relief fund that Mariah instigated. I'm not. I'm not that in touch with the arts community. I'm more in touch with like pizza delivery. But but what's going on? Like what what's what's happened to artists? Yeah. So why, as soon as why are they in trouble? What's happening with them? As soon as they started, um, you know, shutting down big events. Like big events meaning within, you know, it was 250 people, then 50 people, and then it's like gatherings of 10 people. So every day, like friends of mine who are having either concerts or art shows or theater performances, it's like, oh, well, this big concert got canceled, but we'll, we'll still have our art, art opening on Friday. Then like a day later, it's like, oh, no, well, this, you know, this theater thing of 40 or 50 people got canceled, but maybe we'll still have our art opening. And then it was like, no, let's just, we can't even do the art opening. So it really was like between theater, music, and art, just everything got shut down. And people who that's their livelihoods uh, make, you know, it's really tough for them to, to do, to have any income. And, and they're all, I mean, people who are doing that for a living, it's like they're independent contractors pretty much, you know, they can't get unemployment if, a, if something gets shut down. And so they're kind of stuck. And right. Well, then can't. it's like, well, thank heavens I'm a bartender on the side. I can make money doing that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, that <laughs> Sorry. Try again. Yeah. So it just it just kind of methodically cut everybody out. And so Mariah was looking for resources for people. You Who's know, Mariah? Like, Mariah is my partner. She's okay. Amazing, amazing person. I've I've mentioned her. She is indeed. Times. And so, um, and she's very passionate about helping people. She's been in the art business, um, you know, helping artists get paid basically and trying to convince artists to sell their work and not put it under their bed and, um, you know, get a fair price and not exchange for, for exposure, you know, like don't do this mural just for exposure, get the person that's benefiting from it to pay you for it. Right. Get a grant or get the business to use it as advertising money or whatever yeah yeah and so when all this stuff started happening she was looking for resources and being like you know is, is i gotta help all, all my friends and she really didn't find any and so um she was talking with another woman marnie who does theater and performance in denver and marnie's like why don't you start it and so <laughs> i was like okay i guess i will you know and so she figured out you know she made a gofundme got several people to be on the kind of a panel there's um there's six people a very diverse panel to you know decide and then there's a their questionnaire for people you know and it was it's supposed to be very specific not just not just like oh i'm an artist and i can't sell art so give me some money you know it's very specific 
what got canceled that you would have made money at and how much would you have made? And the question is not long, but it's, it's supposed to find what is the amount that they need to, you know, to pay off, pay, you know, buy prescriptions or buy food or, um, you know, put gas in your car or whatever. And so um, to date, there's been, I think, over 100 applications and it's raised over $10,000. And I'm working on like helping get people paid. And so we've paid out the first 20 people. That's over four thousand um, dollars. We're still waiting for the money from GoFundMe, though. That takes a while. Um, <laughs> and then if you get money in your bank, then you got to put it in your PayPal, or you know. So I, we ended up like doing some crafty things to try to get people paid quicker. But right now, I mean, we're talking. We've only really allocated the money from for the first like thirty, maybe forty people that have applied because there's way more people applying than there are people donating. So it's a tough business. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's great that she's doing that. I have a friend in London that's taking a different approach, um, Anna Sebastian, and she is actually has pledged to spend basically 20% of the money that people spend on her art to buy other artists' art. So her target is $1,000. So she's selling, I don't know, five or six paintings for a total of, of 1,000 pounds. And if she reaches that goal, then she's pledged to buy a piece of art for 200, for 200 pounds from another artist. And she hasn't chosen the artist, TBD, but then she'll promote that on social and maybe, and maybe the, bring them up a notch. It's kind of an interesting, you know, less distributed model. Yeah, it's like a pay it forwards kind of trickle down, you know, by buying... We, you know, when you get your, when you get paid for making art, if you buy art, then, you know, someone else benefited from you selling art. So that's that's a great way to do it. It's almost I did like that. tithing. It's almost like what? Tithing. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Just practice of giving a percentage of your of your income back to the community somehow. Yeah. I just started um, streaming my movie this week um, and put it in giving 20% of any income from the movie to the artist fund. The Denver. I'll give you the link for the artist fund. It's called denverartistrelief.org. And so I thought a way, you know, I donated some money, but also I thought of another way. It's like, you know, everyone's sitting at home watching Netflix and they're they're already posting on Facebook, like, what should I watch next? Or what should I listen to next? And so I decided to get my movie streaming, which I've just, you know, played in some theaters and then I put it on Blu-rays and USBs and stuff. But I figured now's the time to start streaming. It's everyone's bored at home. There's no future in England streaming. <laughs> 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 